Chapter 17 Internal and External Security Things that are replaceable can be made safe by insurance. Things that are not, such as life and health, can only be made safe by being in a safe place. The thing we need more constantly than anything else is a safe place for our persons. Spencer Heath, Engineer, Lawyer, and Philosopher Since the operator of a free private city wants to make a profit, he must offer an attractive product. Above all, this means guaranteeing security for the life, liberty, and property of contract citizens. According to the classical liberal view, this is also the only legitimate task of a state and the only permissible justification for its monopoly of force. Both states and free private cities, which cannot or do not want to guarantee the security of their citizens, basically have no right to exist. Thomas Hobbes recognized this in his 1651 Leviathan. The citizen's obligation against the overlord can only last as long as he is able to protect the citizens, for the natural right of the people to protect themselves, if no one else can do it, is not destroyed by any treaty. Even the operator of a free private city must, on the one hand, be prepared for the use of force by others, and, on the other hand, be ready to do so himself as a last resort. Those who ignore this insight cannot establish a community with any hope of success. Even if all inhabitants were hand-picked pacifists, they would still have to deal with the intrusion of uninvited guests. A Monopoly of Force In order to fulfill his task of protection satisfactorily, the operator must maintain security forces and specify by a regulatory framework what is permitted and what is not. He must continue to enforce the exclusion or expulsion of dangerous persons. In this respect, the operator is the holder of the householder's rights, and thus a monopolist of territorial rights and the use of force. This is no different from operating a hotel, amusement park, or holiday resort. The house rules there are also specific, non-negotiable, and will be enforced if necessary. It is in the interest of the operator to have both security forces and rescue forces under his control in order to be able to guarantee proper fulfillment of his contractual obligations. The fact that the operator may himself use various private companies that provide this service is another matter. For example, following the example of the private police of San Francisco, he could also outsource police services to various companies on a spatial basis in order to ensure a certain degree of competition for quality assurance. Of course, the same rules for all are applied as specified by the operator. If a company performs the services poorly, it loses the district to a competitor. However, all this is done under the supervision of the operator. For the citizens, he remains the sole contracting party, but thus also the holder of the monopoly on the use of force. Allowing competing security service providers with their own rules and thus competing legal systems may appear theoretically attractive for reasons of preventing monopolies. In practice, however, the effort and inconvenience involved, the so-called transaction costs, are probably too high. It would take years for rules to develop in the market on how to resolve collisions between the various providers and legal systems. 
Thus, in the real world, the conflict of laws rule of international private law is excluded in practically all cross-border civil contracts. These rules determine which laws apply when different legal systems collide. However, it is almost impossible to predict which law will be applicable under these rules in individual cases. This legal uncertainty is too much for the parties concerned. They prefer to choose a known legal system, even if it is not their own. A corresponding problem would arise in the free private city if competing orders clash in a dispute. Examples A citizen has a heart attack and falls to the ground unconscious. Who will save him? A citizen who has no security service provider is robbed. Who will help catch the thief? Some people stop paying their fees for the fire department because it costs too much money. Who is going to put out the next fire at their homes? A criminal gang has acquired, unnoticed, a large parcel of land and at some point no longer accepts the rules. They have by far the largest security force in the city. What now? Violent people enter the city in large numbers. Who will stop them? In all these cases, there must be an authority that ensures that order is maintained quickly and conclusively. After all, troublemakers must be legally removed from the city, and somebody has to make those decisions. This is considerably more difficult, indeed impossible, if there is no ultimate executive authority. As explained in Chapter 11, there are numerous alternative responses to this problem, but they all still have to pass the practical test. Even on private cruise ships, there are neither competing security services nor competing captains. However, if models without a monopoly of force are going to function in the future, they will also have to prevail in the market of living together. Any abuse of power by the operator is unlikely due to having paying customers with an enforceable contractual position and the availability of alternatives, competition. If the operator has an interest in covering up certain events because they are detrimental to his reputation, for example, if security forces have shot a resident, it could be agreed from the outset in the citizen's contract that external agencies must be called in to investigate specified kinds of incidents or that such an investigation can be demanded by the citizens. If the security situation is bad, or if the security forces regularly exceed the powers granted in the citizen's contract, the city will not be successful in the long term. New customers will keep their distance, contract citizens will emigrate, and the value of the operator's business will decrease, not increase. There are therefore sufficient incentives for the operator to behave in accordance with the contract, including the use of its monopoly on force. Once the model of free private cities has proven itself profitable, then other competitors will inevitably appear on the scene. This is the best guarantee for the residents that the respective operator will not abuse his position of power. Apart from that, the right of every contract citizen to self-defense and the corresponding support of third parties against attacks, as well as the corresponding right of citizens' arrest, remain unaffected or expressly guaranteed by contract. This includes that every citizen of the contract can hire additional security services at his own expense, which can also exercise these rights. This corresponds to current practice in most countries. Private Police
The operator will therefore establish a private police force. Whether he sets them up himself or uses one or more private security contractors is irrelevant. The police should also serve as a point of contact for visitors and residents and as a mediator in minor disputes, comparable to the Bobby or Schutzmann. These were a reliable part of the social order in the England and Germany of the past. Since he was responsible for a particular residential area, he knew the citizens and they knew him. Such a model creates trust and stability. It is important that the policemen are friendly and service-minded. After all, they are paid by the residents' contributions. Some members of the police and fire department can complement each other and support each other in the event of an emergency. Border security tasks can also be performed by these forces. In addition, a voluntary police reserve and a volunteer fire department of contract citizens might be an option, whose members receive a remuneration or a reduction of the annual contribution. How big does the police force have to be? In most western states, there are about three policemen per 1,000 inhabitants. City-states have significantly higher proportions. In Singapore, there are seven policemen per 1,000 inhabitants. In Monaco, even 14. Monaco is, nevertheless, a special case because it has a pronounced need for security due to the large number of especially affluent inhabitants and the practically open border to France. Fire Department and Emergency Rescue Services Fire, traffic accidents, heart attacks, and similar accidents happen all the time. To let a house burn down because the person concerned has not concluded a fire department contract, or to leave a seriously injured accident victim on the road because he has not taken out emergency insurance, contradicts the basic idea of the free private city, namely the protection of life, liberty, and property of its citizens. In this respect, the operator will provide the corresponding fire department and emergency rescue services as part of the mandatory package and include their coverage in the basic fee, especially as visitors should also be able to enjoy these services. A conceivable alternative would be to oblige the residents to provide evidence of insurance covering the corresponding risks and costs similar to a motor liability insurance. Enforcement of Rules Consistent enforcement of the rules is of paramount importance. The corresponding strategy has become known as the zero-tolerance principle. This means that all offenses, even minor ones, will be punished immediately and vigorously. In particular, multi-ethnic immigration societies such as the cities of New York, Monaco, or Singapore implement these principles and are therefore relatively safe places despite their high population density and diversity. In this respect, free private cities have examples to go on and do not have to repeat the mistakes of Western democracies, which devalue their own rules and principles out of misconceived liberality. Instead of making a large number of behaviors punishable, but then only penalizing them selectively, it is better to set a few clear rules, the violation of which is consistently punished. The assertions of Western sociologists and criminologists that stricter penalties do not act as a deterrent can be confidently ignored, especially since they are not based on a sound empirical foundation, but on ideological thinking.
If you take the motorway from Germany to Italy through Switzerland, you will notice the following. In Germany and Italy, speed limits are not observed by many traffic participants. After crossing the border, however, the same drivers strictly adhere to the maximum speeds applicable in Switzerland. The simple reason is this. Switzerland imposes draconian penalties for driving too fast. Lee Kuan Yew had made a similar observation in Singapore under Japanese occupation. Compare Chapter 9. Precisely because the inhabitants of free private cities probably do not have a common history, culture, or other traditional value systems, compliance with a few rules must be strictly monitored and troublemakers must be removed from the system quickly. If rules are considered inappropriate or inappropriate in individual cases, they should be formally abandoned or amended. If the agreed rules are not enforced or only rarely enforced, in a society, more and more people will ignore them. It is in human nature that the number of people will increase who will test how far they can go with impunity. Some get away with it, others don't, which many citizens find unfair. You only get multiple or intensive offenders if their offenses were not punished or not effectively punished the first time. Otherwise, they would either be in prison or would have been expelled. Expulsion as the main sanction Aside from the pre-selection of immigrants, expulsion is the most important tool for navigating the development of the city's security. As in school and work, it only takes a few brutes to easily destroy the overall climate in a city. Everybody makes mistakes. But whoever persistently disturbs the peace, becomes aggressive or criminal and violates the rules, that is, is unwilling or unable to fit into a community, must be removed from it. The same applies to persons whose declared aim is to destroy the community or to replace it with another order. It is absurd to accept such people. The best cannot live in peace if the bad neighbor doesn't allow it. So the bad neighbors have to go to make sure people can live in peace. Otherwise, the good ones will be driven out and the bad ones will catch up with their peers. It is one of the mistakes of today's states that they make practically no use of the means of expulsion, which in earlier times was, with good reason, the main sanction of a society under the term banishment. Free private cities that act according to the zero-tolerance principle thus do not become police states, but, on the contrary, places where a law-abiding citizen can live for years without even having any contact with the security forces. Functioning communities must separate themselves from those who pose a threat to the existence of this community. There is no way around this insight. It is therefore advisable to agree in the citizen's contract that criminal conduct of any kind leads to a mandatory expulsion from the free private city over and above any attendant prison sentence. This also applies to petty crimes such as shoplifting. Of course, the degree of severity above which offenses of a lesser degree entitled the termination of the contract can be graduated. For example, only after repeated offenses. For longer residents, the tolerance threshold will be higher than for newcomers. One could think of a corresponding application of the three strikes rule for long-term contractors. Expulsion only takes place after the third conviction for a criminal offense. 
On the one hand, deportation relieves the population of evildoers, while on the other hand, there is a strong incentive for contract citizens to comply with the rules if they want to continue living in the free private city. In fact, according to surveys, only about 5% of the population commit 50% of all crimes. Despite all efforts at rehabilitation, there is a high probability that convicted criminals will become criminals again after serving their time in prison. An informed operator should avoid this risk. Over time, this leads to a positive selection, which then requires less and less police intervention. In addition to crime, non-observance of arbitration rulings, giving false information during the admission procedure, and of course non-payment of contributions, can also be reasons that entitle the operator to terminate the contract and thus to withdraw the resident's permit. The offenses liable in expulsion must be listed in the citizen's contract. The operator of the free private city even has an advantage of not having to grant its own citizenship. Every contract citizen already has a nationality and therefore a place to which they can return if necessary. By signing the contract, for example, the applicant may agree to leave at his own expense for his home country or place of his choice in the event the contract is terminated. If, in the future, free private cities grant their own citizenship or comparable status and children born in the city become criminals once they reach the age of majority, this is not an insolvable problem either. Convicts may be located in special areas which the free private city has leased from other countries, whereby they have the right to leave at any time, provided they are admitted elsewhere. They shouldn't be allowed back in the free private city, however. The control of the quality of the inhabitants through the possibility of expulsion, as well as selective immigration, will lead to a climate of security and mutual trust, not to mention the economic advantages resulting from increased social capital. And this will occur even if the inhabitants have different ethnic, cultural, and religious backgrounds. Over time, a sense of community is likely to develop, possibly combined with a kind of pride in being a citizen of this particularly safe and civilized free city. The Security Organs of the Host State it is advisable to maintain a good relationship with the security forces of the host state above and beyond any applicable formal cooperation agreements. They will have to be asked for help from time to time, for example when larger events exceed the capacity of the local police or other cases arise that cannot be dealt with on their own. Conversely, there should be an appropriate willingness to assist the police and fire department of the host state in an emergency. This will pay off over time. Border Protection In order to guarantee the safety of the residents, it is essential to monitor and control the borders. Otherwise, criminals will soon discover that it is easy to go on a raid in the free private city and then disappear back over the border again. This is because the city's security forces have little or no reach outside the city. How intensively the border is secured depends on local conditions. In countries with high crime rates, a fence or other barriers will have to be erected. In quieter areas, one can limit oneself to camera surveillance and stop suspicious people and vehicles. 
Depending on the geographic situation, the free private city may have enough space to use cameras and motion detectors to monitor terrain day and night and to stop intruders approaching outside the official entrances. With today's technology, it should not be difficult to determine who is in the free private city at any given time. Monaco, which has no direct border controls, monitors its entire territory with cameras instead. These are evaluated by experienced police officers. If a suspicious person is identified, the nearest patrolman is immediately called in who then checks the target. If there are any suspicions or criminal warrants, this person will be questioned at the police station, arrested, and or expelled. The consistent application of this principle has ensured that shady and criminal persons avoid entry to Monaco in the first place. It is helpful if entry and exit to the free private city only take place via a few controlled entry points, which can easily be blocked in an emergency. This makes it easier to prevent criminals from escaping. The operator should have a response ready even if an agitated crowd of several hundred people approaches, ready to plunder, because unrest has broken out in the host state. Protection Against Violent Takeover It is unlikely that a state other than the host state will become immediately dangerous because the free private city is still part of its sovereign territory. For this reason, the operator must above all consider how to avoid blackmail or capture by the host state. After a change of government, for example, a demagogue could take office who claims that his country was betrayed when concluding the contract with the operator of the free private city. There is no magic formula to prevent this contingency. The operator will have to try to prevent the aggressor from taking this step by a combination of different means above and beyond the investment protection clauses in the contract, for example, through public relations, prominent contract citizens or sympathizers, economic and diplomatic contacts with other states, and international organizations. Finally, a certain defensive capacity will be needed. It should be enough to make the occupation of the free private city costly enough to strongly discourage any such move. After all, the inhabitants are highly mobile and would probably leave the city if it were taken over. As a result, the city would lose considerable economic power. This can be communicated to a potential aggressor in advance. He will then consider whether it makes sense to destroy the very source of wealth he was planning to exploit or plunder. Coalitions or protection agreements with powerful states or other free private cities are another option for external security. In the longer term, economic power leads to military power anyway, as the examples of Venice, Genoa, and Singapore show. The combination rich and weak, on the other hand, has little chance of lasting survival. This defensiveness is accompanied by non-interference in foreign disputes. This is good for financial reasons alone, but also because the causes of the respective conflict and the justification of the opposing party's positions usually cannot be adequately assessed from a distance.